Well, hello and welcome to Book Talk. At least I don't have to talk much today because I don't have much of a voice. But I can say thank you to the producers in advance, producer Perry and Pam. Thank you very much. Thank you for all the people coming in. And now I'll turn it over to Nolan and Jenny and I'll go back to the to drink of choice here. I don't have to talk. <laughs> This program will make you drink. That's a that's, a that's true. <laughs> It'll just about force you to do it before we're done. <laughs> Hopefully, it's something relatively wholesome and healthy. However, well, maybe we should start inviting everybody to get their glass of wine ready before we start. Well, I respect that. I'm going to stick with my Coke Zero if that's okay, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll let others do what they need to do. Uh, there is a great podcast out there. I shouldn't be uh, hyping other people's podcasts, though. That's not nice. Of a guy who interviews authors, and one of the characteristics of his podcast is he asks them what their favorite drink is, so that he can have it on hand when uh, they come to his studio to be interviewed. And it's a, it's pretty entertaining. You get the clinking of the glasses, the the ice in the glasses, all of that stuff. It's a, uh, you know, even if it's completely made up, it's very authentic in in how it sounds. So it's kind of a fun one. So by all means, whatever you uh, whatever you need to drink. Uh, get it ready for the the next hour because we've we got good stuff planned. I think we do, and maybe some good things unplanned. We don't know. Oh, probably. <laughs> That's the magic of this podcast is the listener participation, and without them, it would be pretty boring in a lot of ways. I, I really we appreciate those of you who tune in and speak up because that makes a whole lot better program than it would otherwise be. So, so I have a topic I'm going to throw out to you, and maybe we'll get some listeners to answer us, too. Okay. What makes a good book? Why are there certain authors that we know if they come out with a book, we're going to read it? And why do we read books that we hate all the characters in, but we finish the book anyway? You want me to go first, or, or, sure. or where do you Okay. Yeah. Well, that's almost two questions. What makes a good book? Um, that's a great, you know, for some people, it's it has to be character-driven. They want to know all they can know about the characters. Otherwise, it's not a good book for them. Other folks prefer plot-driven stuff, and they, they want something that's going to move them and keep them entertained and, and actively involved in the book. There's no wrong answer. Um, for me, I think the things that make a good book, there are two that really work for me. One of them really is plot. I I need a fairly decent plot. If you're gonna, if you're gonna bore me to death for hundreds of pages by describing the changing of a season over a patch of daffodils, well, that's great. I mean, there's there people out there who would absolutely be thrilled by, um, you know, a hundred-page description of this daffodil patch in its various formations throughout the four seasons. I guess I'm not one of those people. I need some sort of direction. Um, quick example of that, a few years ago I read uh, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, and I enjoyed the book, but I got bogged down in all those descriptions of the sewage system in Paris. I just kind of, that seemed to go on forever and ever. Um, so I don't mind long books. I'm going to be featuring some, not this week, but in future weeks on this podcast. They're you know 30 and 40 hours long and longer. Those don't scare me if there's a decent plot that's involved with it, and at least some character development. But I don't do well with just really lengthy literary descriptions. So I mostly need plot, I think. And uh, if you want to be really skilled at the craft of writing and throw in some good character development, I'll take that as well. So how, what makes you, what makes you stick with a book like the one you reviewed last week that you didn't like any of the characters? Why did, what made you finish it? Because there's I don't know. so many books... I don't know, Jennifer. I worry about that with regard to my life a lot. And I, I get that we're doing not psychology books and we're doing just this, this podcast side. And I, I'd almost have to go under some kind of analysis to figure that out, to be honest. I, it may stem back to a childhood in which I could get only a limited number of books. And the ones I got, I knew I had to either really finish or, or you know, at least you all remember, those of you who borrow books as children from the National Library Service, those came in the mail, and you only got one or two books, and at a time, maybe one, and it may have be weeks before you get another one. And so we tended to, to finish those. Today, there's no excuse for that. 
um, there's a such a tremendous amount of good information. Now, why do we read them even though we don't like the characters or or the plot? I don't. I have no idea why. I'm getting better at kicking them to the curb, but uh, it 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 frustrates me when I finish it and say, "Well, that was barely good enough to finish, but I wish I had that piece of my life back." And I don't, well, I think I, I do it because I think it's got to get better. Yeah, that's maybe that's it. <laughs> it doesn't got to happen and make it better. We are people of hope, and we're just we just refuse to believe that that something is completely irredeemable, uh, and we just keep praying for the back five pages or ten or whatever. Whatever you want to go to uh, calls, Nolan. We have Pam, and then someone in the six two three. So uh, Pam was first. So I guess we would go to her first, and then the person in the six two three. Okay, that's John Let's do it. All right. You were asking what makes a great a good book. For me, it has to grab me within the first couple of chapters. I won't stay with it if it's not something that has. Some kind of a, a storyline that moves along. I cannot listen to something. I'm like you, Nolan, with the, daff, the patch of daffodils. But it, even with a good plot, it has to it has to move. It just can't sit there for pages and pages. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of the genre, regardless of the author, the plot has to be there and the characters have to be there. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on that one. For those of you joining late, the question that Jennifer tossed out at the beginning is, what is it that makes a book a good book? Why do we keep going back to those authors? And then she wanted to know why some of us slog through a book to the bitter end, even though we we finish it, but we didn't necessarily like it very much. Why, why do we do those things? So that's the question, and then we're opening it up to everybody to, to talk to talk to us about it. And we do have that caller from uh, the person in the 623. So if you want to unmute. That's Joni. Joni. Absolutely. Go ahead, Joni. Well, hi. Hi, Nolan. Hello. And hi, Jennifer. Hi. And, well, I also, I, I am old, and I went through my childhood not being able to get very many books and not even getting many books when as I grew older, and I would get, as you said, Nolan, I would get a book, and you kind of felt like you had to read it because you didn't know when your next book would come. Yes. And um, But I've gotten much better at reading a book and saying, this book is not good. This is not something that I like. And I feel guilty because I belong to a lot of book clubs and I'm given books to read and I don't like them. And I now say to myself, Joni, you don't have to read it. It's not a requirement. You finish it. Also, can I recommend a book? Of course. Okay. Um, This is called The Housemate. H-O-U-S-E-M-A-T-E. The Housemate by C L. Patterson, that's P-A-T-T-I-S-O as in Sam, O-N. This book came from Bookshare. It grabbed me. I couldn't stop reading it. It's about, essentially, it's about two girls that meet each other at university. This takes place in the U.K. Mm-hmm. And they become very, very, very good friends. In fact, they become best friends, and they do different things in 12 years. They keep in touch. They're always talking to each other, and they decide that they're going to look for a house so that they can move in together. They figure it's time. So they find a house that they can afford. It's a little pricey, but then they decide to get to have another person move in with them, and they... In the UK, and I'm hearing something in the background. I yeah, don't I don't know. Go, go ahead, Joni. I got it. Okay. Go ahead. So um, they are looking for another girl to move in with them, and they find, you know, they're looking for somebody and looking. They do some interviews, and they finally find a girl that they think will be absolutely wonderful, and. Sammy moves in. She doesn't have very much stuff. She, uh, 
the house really has two bedroom and but then they find this third little room and they figure that she can move into that and she's fine with it well the book goes on and there are a lot of twists and turns and it's just very intriguing i could not stop reading it and it's and the end is totally what you did not expect. And it's been haunting me. I finished it a few days ago, and it's just, it's the twisty, turny kind of a book that this is what I love. And I look for more books by C.L. Patterson, and there are a few more books in print by her, but I couldn't find anything from NLS or Bookshare. And I want to read more, more, more of her. She's so good. And this is the kind of book that that I really just love. Suspenseful, exciting. It, it just, I, I couldn't stop reading it. Well, thank you for that. That's a great review. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Nicely done. I, I don't normally read a whole lot of Bookshare, but uh, that sounds like one I would probably dip into and, and download. So thanks for the recommendation. So the questions tonight were, what makes a good book good, and why do you finish ones that you really don't like, but you just slog to the back page? What, those are the great questions that she's raising tonight. Any other listeners want to chime in on that? Yeah, go ahead, please. Okay. The question is an interesting one, and I think it changes over time. Um, I will tell you that I've been thinking a lot about this lately as I've become, it's funny, the two questions in my mind are interconnected because as I have begun saying, no, you do not have to finish a book, you've already got too many of them to read, don't waste your time on one that isn't working for you. But that got me to thinking, well, when does it work for me? When does it not work? Um, and, and when does it work in different circumstances? Like if I'm recommending it for a book club, the answer may be very different. If I'm working with when I was doing student teaching, that was a different experience. I'm reading something right now because a client, you know, uh, one of my rehab clients is reading it and we're talking about how it fits with his life. And so it's something that I ordinarily would not like, but I'm loving it. But I think the, the, the primary thing for me is that it's a combination of character and plot and the characters really, really need to be, um, believable or maybe plausible is a better word because they can be they can be fantasy i mean i read harry potter and loved it there has to be something that rings true about the character i don't have to like them they have to have enough complexity and enough that it feels real to me if it doesn't feel real to me i'm gonna really 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 struggle with that book those are great answers thank you for that that's uh it's interesting how sometimes recommendations from other people, especially people whom we trust or whom we believe will give us some good pointers, can really make a huge difference in terms of our willingness to read a book or not read it. Uh, had this client not talked to you about the book, uh, you might not have touched it. It's, it's interesting how that works. And that's why this program actually exists, to provide those recommendations and give people new directions um, any other thoughts on why you read something, what makes it good, or why do you finish it? Why do you go on to the back page? Well, uh, I can think of um, Jillian Flynn. I read Gone Girl because everybody raved about that. And then I read her other two books, and I hated all of them. I was so disgusted when I finished them. And I don't know why I did it. I did it, I think, because everybody said, oh, that's so good. <laughs> We've got we a have uh, yeah. Don with his hand up, Don uh, in the 818, and then Ham will be after Don. So whenever, Nolan, you guys want to go to Don, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and unmute that. Okay, okay Don, are we, there, you are, there he is. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, this is Don and Sandy here. Uh, I was going to ask Sandy, you know, what makes a book for her? 
Uh, she's been a long time reader since she was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. Yeah. So, what gets you interested in the book, Sandy? Uh, yeah, the, it has to grab me right away, like in the first couple chapters. The characters and uh, the people in the book, some books, I had one book, it was so bad, it was like pure sex. It was so awful. I took it out and threw it across the room. It was so bad. But that was the only book I ever got that I hated. Like, but the characters have to really grab me. And like the annotation, that, is, that does a lot for me. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the way it is for a lot of us. I know uh, I usually, if I start a book, I'll usually finish it. But there have been, over the years, a couple that I didn't care for. Uh, back when I was younger, my mother used to pick books for me. <laughs> and uh, these were talking books. And there was one that was a pure soap opera. And I knew it was like that. And I, I didn't, at that particular time, I did like soap opera. I still don't really care for soap operas that much. That's the one I didn't finish. And then uh, uh, some of these guys, uh, you know, who wrote in the 1800s, they would, of course, I realized they, they were getting paid by the word or by the, you know, uh, penny or word or whatever. So they would, you know, write all kinds of descriptions that today we would find slow and painful to go through, like you were mentioning. Like, my case, it was David Copperfield. That, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I read geez. that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the song, the story has to grab me some way or other. Um, yeah, me too. It has to grab me like right away. It doesn't have to be any particular you know thing. Sometimes uh, you know one thing would grab me one time, and then something uh, next time would be something else. But mostly, I'm interested in historical books anyway, so that I'm already kind of intrigued before I even pick the book up as to what's going to go on in this particular historical period or whatever. Thank both of you for your comments and really appreciate your input, Don and Sandy from North Hollywood. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Thank, Thank you. you. Now we have our caller in the 636 area code. Okay. It's our friend from Missouri. Yes, this is Gil from St. Hey. Louis. Good to hear from you. Go ahead. <laughs> um, as far as what makes a book good for me is uh, some, a book that brings out a lot of emotion, uh, preferably uh, a book that makes me feel good, that makes me happy or makes me laugh, um, but um, that's my preferred kind of book. But um, other books <laughs> make scare me or whatever, uh they're okay, too. Some of them are good, but uh, my preference is there's a book that makes me feel good. It has to uplift you in some way. Yeah. Right. It makes right. sense. Uh, it makes sense. While uh, you are why, here, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. You go ahead and finish. Uh, uh, why I finish books, I keep asking myself that sometimes. Why <laughs> do I finish this book when it's not that great? But uh, <laughs> but I do. And I think it's uh, a, a massive amount of hope. I keep hoping yeah. that it's going to get better, <laughs> whether yeah. it does or not. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. Too often it does. <laughs> so true. While you're here, you recommended to me years ago The Wrecking Crew. Um, yeah. about the musicians. We're going to do a buddy read on that between, well, it started last week, but through this week, and we're going to actually discuss it next week. And um, Very good. If you're here, we'd love, love to have you talk about your perspective on some of that and your experiences. I know you had some experiences with Hal Blaine and things of that yeah. nature. Be, if, if you're willing to share, that would be a huge addition. So I just wanted to snag you while you were here. <laughs> Talk about. That. I saw. I saw that in the announcement from. Uh, okay. Jenny good. And I, okay. And, uh, uh, All right. I, uh, I hoped I hadn't missed it. I saw no, it's Crew next, and I next thought, week. Oh, yeah. I maybe missed it last week because. No, nope, no, nope, you're good. It's next okay, week. Okay. Well, I'll sure make an effort to be there next week. We'd love it. It'd be helpful. Thank you. Thanks. And, Any other uh, thoughts? Pa Pam is ready. to to go again so pam go ahead. go ahead yes i would like to expound on jennifer's original question um as far as whether or not a book is good or not does it depend on whether or not 
you have read it in Braille, allowed your device to read it, or had a narrator read it? Ooh, that's that a was a magnificent question. There have been some that were good books because I read them in Braille because I didn't like the narrator. I didn't. I thought it was a bad book with the particular narrator, and so I grabbed it in Braille, and I turned out to like the book. That is so true. I've seen that many times. Plus, there's something different about the ability to read it in Braille, or probably print for that matter, uh, than, than audio. I still, I still see audio as reading. I don't want to get into that debate. But well, um, for example, like Elizabeth George is one of those. She mm-hmm. writes very long books. I know you're familiar with her because you yes. have reviewed some of her books. Yes. But it's kind of neat to read them in Braille because yes. she uses the English spelling of things. Right. And quite frankly, Mitzi Friedlander doesn't always do a good job with those. They're pretty, <clears throat> they're pretty awful. Some of the Scottish accents that she attempts to employ are... Uh, cringeworthy at best, and um, so sometimes reading those in Braille can add to your your pleasure, your appreciation for the book. And there's so many plots and so many things that go on. I I mm-hmm. don't know. It sort of keeps my mind. I don't want to say that I don't get that I'm not always engaged when I read an audio book, but it, for some reason, if I read it in Braille, it makes me pay more attention. It it's, it definitely does, and you're you're probably likely to remember it longer. I suspect. <laughs> Jennifer, I've got a point. Maybe I'd have Nolan give a couple reviews, and then you come back and talk about your new feature you worked on for this week. Oh, okay. All right, well, I'll keep them fairly brief. Um, Take your time. Let me start out with what I consider to be, I'm calling it the book of the week for me. It's my favorite that I've read all week. Unfortunately, it's not available from the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. You're going to have to get this from your public library or probably Audible if you have an extra credit and or maybe Bookshare. It's called Faye Far Away. I'll spell that F-A-Y-E comma Far Away is one word F-A-R-A-W-A-Y. It's written by a Brit named Helen Fisher and it takes place uh, in the UK. Faye is a married mother of two daughters, and it's a solid marriage. She is very much in love with her husband, Eddie, and those two girls, Esther and Evie. She's a highly likable character right out at the, at the outset. You, you determine that early on. As a child, Faye's mother, uh, Faye's mother died when Faye was a child. Sorry about the dangling participle there. So Faye's mom died when Faye was a child, about, of about six or, or so. And she was raised by an elderly, kind couple next who lived next door. Um, one of the Christmas presents Faye got just before her mom died was something called a space hopper. Here in the United States, we knew them as hoppity hop balls. If you grew up in the, you were a relatively young person in the late uh, 60s, odds are high you at least heard about these or knew somebody who had one. Maybe you had one yourself. I certainly did and loved it. I was so thrilled by mine that I actually wrote the president of the company a letter and uh, extolled its virtues, and uh, he actually wrote back and and uh, sent me a, a tire patching kit in case I bumped it on the edge of the sidewalk and needed to patch it up. So anyway, uh, that's my experience with them. In this book, Faye gets, has a space hopper box that, that she had had since she was a little kid. One of the reasons it's it's a treasure to her is that she has a photograph of her inside the box under a Christmas tree and her mother uh, near near her. It's one of the few photographic memories she has of a mom whom she dearly loved and, and was spent an entire lifetime regretting that the two of them were separated so early on. Her husband brings the box down from the attic one day, and he says, I'm, gonna, I'm cleaning out a bunch of stuff. He's training to be a clergyman or a vicar, if you want to call it that. And Faye's not so sure that's a good idea because she's a sort of practical woman. She, If she can see it, she'll believe it. If it says so in the science book, she'll buy into that. But she's not real big on spiritual things. Excuse me. So he says, I'm going to throw this out. And, and she begs him, no, please don't. Please, it's, that's, I know it's just a, a dumb box and it's been taped together and it's a mess, but I really would like to keep it. And so she takes it from him, takes it back into the attic, and inadvertently steps inside of it. Uh, as she's lying it down and, and positioning it somewhere where it's going to be mostly out of the way. The minute she steps inside of it, the bottom falls out of the box, 
and Faye finds herself tumbling down, down, down for what feels like uh, miles and miles at an incredibly rapid rate. And when she hits the ground, she actually does injure herself. She, she does some serious, not serious, but some, some moderate damage to herself. And she finds that she has landed in a storage shed in the, near the house wherein she and her mother lived when she was very small. What, what turns out here, folks, is that Faye has, in some way that we don't fully understand, nor do we need to for the purpose of the book, Faye has traveled in time back to a time when she was little, when her mom was still alive. And before this ends, the two of them will meet, and Faye will get to meet her little six-year-old self, and she will try to create new memories with a mother she never got to spend time with. It's a tender book. It's a lovely book. She learns how to travel back and forth between the present day with her husband and two daughters and the past with her mom. She saves her six-year-old self from being struck by an automobile at one point, and so the mother sees her as a guardian angel. The mother doesn't realize that she is actually the adult daughter uh, because, uh, of course, the mom dies before the girl becomes an adult. So um, it's just the story of their relationship and how they forge it as adults in a way that they never got to. If you had any kind of close association to your parents, and I did, uh, this will ring all kinds of good bells for you. It's um, so much worth it. Uh, I love time travel books, though, too, so maybe that's part of the uh, the joy of it for me. Um, the ending I won't talk about, obviously, for good reasons. A lot of people on Goodreads hated the ending. I absolutely loved it. It made sense to me. I thought it was necessary. Um, leave it at that. Again, the book is Faye Far Away by Helen Fisher, and uh, nicely narrated if you if you can get it from your public library or from Audible. Uh, I don't. I wish NLS would carry it. I think there are a lot of people who would actually download and read it. Um, but it, it was definitely a standout for me for the week. That sounds like a good book. Really was. What do you have, Jennifer? Well, I have Playing for the Ashes, which is an Elizabeth George, um, and in this book, she. This is like number seven or eight of the of the Inspector Thomas Henley Lindley books, and it's over. It's over twenty five hours long if you read it in audio. But it's it's really if you haven't ever read one of one of Elizabeth George's books, she always has more than one plot going on. And in this particular book, there's a the star cricket player is murdered, and Inspector Lindley and his partner Barbara Hayward have to solve the mystery of of who killed him. And in the meantime, there the other plot line is this young woman Olivia, who is telling the story of of her life and her her childhood, and 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 why all the defiant things she did and why she was pretty much disowned by her parents. And now she is, she has ALS and now she's dying and she's trying to make amends with her mother. And all of these, you think as you read this, that they don't have anything to do with each other. And they, they end up getting, they end up meeting in the middle and you find out as you go on what, what exactly the the deal is, and I like Elizabeth George. She writes long books, and sometimes sometimes I get a little impatient with her after so many hours, and I'm like, "Come on, finish it already!" But but she really is good, and it's it's neat that she's actually an American author, but she sets all of her books in England, and she uses the English spelling, the British English spelling of of lots of different words like curb and recognize and things like that. So it's, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't know if you were listening to it in an audio. That's another reason why I like to read them in Braille. Mm-hmm. And it's um, called Playing for the Ashes, and it's by Elizabeth George, and it's um, DB40562. And I did not get the Braille number, but it's easily found. Yeah. All right, Have you read you, that one? 
Yeah, I've not read that one. It's 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 on the hard drive somewhere. I've I've not unearthed it yet. <laughs> I'm glad nobody can see this hard drive. <laughs> they would think they were in the presence of a book hoarder, um, which I guess I probably am. I need to think about that a little bit. Um, fortunately, it's a hard drive and not real space, so it's not a big problem. How about we do one more? Um, this is one that I have not forgotten. I'm going to reread it now that I've resurrected it for this podcast. I. It re- it brings back all of the old feelings for me that, that it had when I first read it, though, just looking at my review. And um, so I'm going to sometime, maybe this week, even sit down and reread this. And I don't normally reread books. I don't like to do that. I, I, it's like, a, you know, if, I'm, if I've read it, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to be part of that again. This is a Peter Heller book. Uh, that's the name of the author, Peter Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. The book is called The Dog Stars. Oh, gosh, folks, I love this book. Here's the, the setup. Well, the, if you can download stuff from the National Library Service, the order number is DB75493. Once again, 75493. Uh, so here's the setup. I enjoyed the heck out of this book. I started it one Friday night, read it well into the night, got, up, got on my treadmill the following morning and finished it. And it it entirely turned that boring treadmill experience into the most fun I've had on a treadmill in a long time. Um, here's the here's the setup for it. There's a they've had a flu pandemic that's essentially obliterated the United States in terms of service services. Nobody's doing much of anything. Um, survivors, if there are any, are hard edged, hate filled people whose main goal is to kill someone else before they the survivor is killed and uh, are killed rather. And um, so you have a world that's gone pretty gangster, chaotic, nasty. Um, however, there's one one holdout. This guy's name is Hig. That's all he. That's all he goes by. Some call him Big Hig, but it's just normally Hig. He's an airline pilot, and he has prior to the pandemic, he had a small private plane that he liked to get out and fly as a hobby. He kept his plane well maintained. He had lots of spare parts prior to the pandemic of this flu, and he. Um, Pardon me. After the pandemic, he begins to fly it over his home, around his home in eastern Colorado. This is an attempt to protect him and his neighbor, Bruce, from being blindsided, from being attacked unawares by some of these gangs that are roving around lawlessly. Um, He's like I said, he's just this this pilot who lives all alone. His beloved wife was killed as a result of the pandemic. She died from the flu. And she was pregnant at the time, so he lost both the wife and a would-be child. Um, the only real person he has left, or the only real companion he has left in his life is an aging dog named Jasper. And uh, Hig and Jasper are inseparable much of the time, but, but Jasper's getting old. Jasper will crawl up in the plane and fly whenever Hig goes out on a run. And uh, the neighbor, Bruce, is a kind of a survivalist guy. He's, he's an interesting neighbor, and Heller develops him well. Um, he's got some mental issues, and you'll see that if, if you read this, but he's worth reading about. He's, he needs to be in the book. Um, one day while flying around the, the house, Hig hears a distant voice on the uh, plane radio. It's a male voice, and it's an older voice that sounds rather friendly and grandfatherly, and it, it, it impacts Hig, but he doesn't immediately act on it. In fact, for years, he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't forget though it's something that he's it's important to him heller writes this in a kind of stream of consciousness way that often turns me off but it was really perfect for this book so this uh, this as heller continues to make his flights he discovers an abandoned coca-cola truck and he lands his plane breaks in to the truck and gets out a few six packs for he and his neighbor bruce to share on special days so they might have a coke on christmas day or Pardon me, something along those lines. You see the value of, of treasured things as a result of this book. Um, and the friendship between Hig and that dog Jasper will cause you to weep at one point. There was a scene in here that had me burying my head in the face of my dog and crying like a, a newborn. I just absolutely unraveled. I've never, rarely have I had books impact me quite to that visceral degree. Um, the narrator in the NLS version is Gary Tells, and he does a decent job with this. Um, I just really enjoyed this. I, I wish I were better at, at, at talking about this. Ultimately, 
when Heller flies one day, he hears a female voice on the radio of his plane, and he can't figure out who she is or what, what the deal is, but he needs to learn more about her and to find her. And so that's the climax of this book, is that there is a, a romantic interest here. Um, the United States is, is, some parts of it are taken over by uh, Arabic hostile forces, and, and Hig gets to hear those on that airplane as he's flying around trying to defend his home. Um, this is just a good book, and I, I've, I've gone on lo- long, way too long. I apologize to all of you for that, but I would hope you would give it a read. I know we've all been through a pandemic, and yes, we've all survived it, but again, this what you're reading it for is the relationship between Hig and his dog, Hig and his neighbor, and this remarkable love interest that you start to see as the book begins to close. Um, they're just The scenes are memorable, and they're well-written. I've read Heller, Peter Heller's book since, and I, in my opinion, none of them come quite, quite close to this. Um, this, again, is called The Dog Stars by Peter Heller. And again, the order number is DB75493. Got anything else there, Jennifer? Well, shall we... Um... Does anybody have anything they want to add, or should I go on? You can, unless, well, we don't have any hands up. Okay. What I thought, maybe, if... Um, oh, we got Beth up. I'm, I'm sorry, we got Beth with a comment, and let's say hello to Cheryl. Cheryl's checked in for the first time. Hello, Cheryl Baker. Um, go ahead, Beth, and make your comment. Well, I I wanted to let you all know I finally finished the first Orphan Train book that I had been reading. I finished it yesterday, and there was even a little bit of suspense in there, and I absolutely loved it. With You Always, it's called, and I should have looked up the, the number on it. And there's also the second book now that I'm starting to read. I read two chapters this morning already, and the first chapter already had me in suspense. It was so good. And, you know, some of these books that you've mentioned, the ones that the uh, someone mentioned earlier, David Copperfield, and that one really grabbed me. I loved that book so much. It was a long, long book, but I, I read it back in 2010 just before my mom passed away. It was, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Beth. We always appreciate your input. Thank you. We got one more raised hand. Can you, are you still there, Perry? Let's see who are. Okay. We got Beth's hand lowered. Is it you with the raised hand, Pam? No. Okay, let's go ahead and answer that raised hand. I've got myself over in the sign-off mode over here. So hold on just one second. If anybody has their hand raised, please go ahead and speak. 623. It's who? Hi, it's Joni again. Okay. Uh, Can... You give me the email address uh, that I need to write to, to get on the book talk list and the coffee cup club list and all the lists, please. Yeah, I think we can do that for you. We're working on a new service that's going to do it automatically for you. So just bear with us just a little bit on that, and we'll have one where you can call me, and I'll just take down your email, and I can zap you right in. Make it so easy for you. But yes, I will send you an email, Joni, because I want you on the list. Well, I want to be on the list. Right. So what do I have to do? All you have to do is to hold tight or send me an email at bill at billsparks.org, and then I'll add you to the list, okay? Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. And I love this book, but I've missed a few of them, so I have to also find out how the podcast. to. podcast. We'll work on that, too, podcast. okay? Great. Thank you All so right. much. Okay. 
Do we have any other uh, raise? We do not have any okay. more hands raised. Uh, I'd have gotten to Joni, Bill, but unfortunately, when someone has their own audio muted, that generally doesn't work. Oh, yeah, that's true. Okay, um, we're ready to go. Is it either we're going to have to have a jump ball between Nolan and Jennifer here? No. Uh, let I'm, her go for it. I'm what have you got, Jennifer? I've got, well, I thought maybe if everyone will try it this time, and I just got <laughs> the the top ten books that were on the bestsellers list for this week, and just a small little sentence that describes what the books are about. I only took the fiction this time. If it's something that people like and you want to do it again, then maybe the first of next month I'll do it for nonfiction too. Um, The first one is uh, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Darmus. A scientist and single mother living in California in the 1960s becomes a star on a TV cooking show. The next one is, now these are not in numeric order, and I should give credit to the Westport Library where I got these. The next one is I Will Find You. Before you do that, sorry, if you want to order this um this book that she just mentioned, Lessons in Chemistry, um, you would want order number 107538, if you can get it from the National Library Service, DB107538. Sorry, go See, ahead. I you're more prepared than me. I forget. I didn't go and do that. No but. problem. I'll snag them and ta- team tag those if, if they're there. Okay. Um, I Will Find You by Harlan Coben, which is probably there. A man imprisoned for murdering his his three year old right like a three year old son becomes convinced his son is still alive and plans an escape. The next one is Countdown by James Patterson and Brendan Dubois. A botched field operation and a terrorist plot endanger Amy Cornwall and her family. The next one is Hello Beautiful, and this is one of those Oprah's book clubs. And, uh, that's Sometimes they're pretty dark and depressing. Uh, by Anne Napolitano. In, a, in an homage to Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, a Young Man's Dark past resurfaces as he gets to know the family of his college sweetheart. Tomorrow, and the next one is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by by Gabrielle Zevin. Two friends find their partnership challenged in the world of video game design. Next is Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. Three women navigate their roles in a well-to-do family living in Brooklyn Heights. Next is The White Lady by Jacqueline Winspear. In 1947, Eleanor White, a former wartime operative, must face an organized crime gang in London. Next one is Stormwatch by C.J. Box, the 23rd book in the Joe Pickett series. Next is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. A reimagining of Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, set in the mountains of southern Appalachia. And last, no, there's a couple more. Uh, Smolder by Laurel K. Hamilton. The 29th book in the Anita Blake series. Let's see. And then, so a couple of those are on Bard. I couldn't, only one that I could find. Uh, that's the Gabrielle Zavin book. Um, I can't, um, quickie. I don't see it. 
it's there. Um, we'll look those up for the mailing list, and they'll go out. Yeah, so. it'll go up there, and and it's on there. Also, um, Doug Brunt, who is his podcast I talked about earlier in this one. Every Tuesday, he releases. It's called Dedicated. Is the name of his podcast, and he does interviews with authors. Today, he interviewed Jenny Jackson, who is the author of Pineapple Street, who got mentioned here. Um, she was a delightful interview, and I had not planned to read the book. I don't know if I will yet because it sort of seems like a chiclet kind of book, but I can't tell. Um, but but the interview with her made it more likely that I would read it than than if I hadn't listened to that interview. He does a, a nice job when he interviews these authors. His podcast is called Dedicated. <clears throat> I just thought it was interesting. I didn't get all of the information about how long, how many weeks some of them have spent on the in the top ten. But it was just interesting to see. And that's fascinating. And it means we have stuff to look forward to. Um, that's for sure. Well, I used to try to read the uh, oh, the New York Times book review, <coughs> but it was getting so far behind, like a lot of the Bard magazines are lately, that I, I thought, well, I'll just go out and get them. And then if it's something that people like, I'll add nonfiction to it and maybe do it the first of the month. I think it'd be a great feature, but that's just me. Uh, and we can tag team if you want. And- sure. That's up to you. Um I'm happy to, yeah, that, I think it's a great idea, a good feature, because we can always use a little a little anticipation of what's coming. So, that's, How about that's some it. anticipation? How about another book review, Nolan? People sure. look forward to that. I've, I've got one here. Okay. Let me get to it. So this next one is, let me make sure I've got the right thing here. I don't, I don't want to mislead you. There it is. Yeah, this is it. Um yeah, we're going to do this one quick. It's called Crossfire. And no, it has nothing to do with the old television program that was on back when we were all younger. Um, this is by Dick and Felix Francis. And you, you, there it is. And you probably remember uh, Dick Francis is the writer of a lot of mysteries set on British racetracks. He's a bit of a master, in my opinion, in that regard. There's not a Dick Francis book that I won't read I have to, I just, when I see his name, it's like, okay, grab that one. Uh, because you learn so much about racing and, and how things are done in Great Britain. I don't know anything about horse racing. I have no interest in it, per se, until I pick up one of these books. And then, because he is so skillful, he weaves in all kinds of facts and interesting things about horse racing that I would never have known without him. And so I come away both with a great mystery that I've that is solved, but also with a real education on on what goes on 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 the track. Unfortunately, this is the first time I've read a book be, by Dick and his son Felix, and he did that as he began to get older, and he had his son kind of take over the enterprise. <laughs> Pardon me, just the way that that Anne uh, Hillerman took over from her dad, and the difference is that Anne Hillerman does a beautiful job with with those books, and I will talk about Tony Hillerman one of these days. He's a an author that I genuinely have come to love over the years, and, and his daughter does not stand in his shadow. She is equally talented in her own way. In any event, I'm sorry to admit that the, this, this combination of Dick Francis and Felix isn't quite as charming as uh, Tony and Ann Hillerman, but they at least make some effort here. Um, it's still a good book, and it's called Crossfire, as I said. The order number, should you decide to download this, is DB72174. Once again, DB72174. So here's the setup real quick. Tom Forsyth has served in the British Army well as in, in Afghanistan. He's been on tour over there, and he's done well. He's a captain in the British Army, and an IED um, separates him from his right foot. So they fly him back to the U.K. They outfit him with a prosthetic foot and teach him how to use it and so on. And he does pretty well, but he's no longer quite able enough to run the kind of running that they need to do to stay fit and to stay in the army. And so they're about to muster him out. In the meantime, they tell him to go home to his mother's place and just kind of recoup and rebuild a little bit. Problem is his mother has hated him from day one and the stepfather has hated him even more. So poor Tom really has no place to go home to. He goes home, and it's, it's every bit as cold and uh, hateful and austere an environment as he remembered when he left last. 
the army had been his family and he loved his service in the army and so this is really hard on him um he just they've treated him like garbage and when he comes home from the armed forces instead of being grateful for his service or in any way complimentary um she's the first question she asks almost is well how long are you going to stay and when are you going to get out so it's he's treated like third-rate garbage and that doesn't get better and so he's looking around for other options obviously um there's a reason though that his mom is is hateful and it's not just her typical imperious behavior something else is is in play and tom digs in and tries to figure out what's really going on what he determines is that his mother is being blackmailed and she's being threatened with prison if she doesn't pay the blackmailer who knows something about her taxes that are in arrears and Tom applies some of those military skills he learned to try to figure out what's going on here, who's doing this to his mother, um, what's happening, and, and is there a way out for her that's, that's successful. This is highly suspenseful. At one point, Tom's life is severely endangered by those who obviously don't want him to find out what's going on. And uh, I enjoyed the plot a great deal. I got through it in a hurry. It kept me up long, long into the night last night. And so the plot itself is very good. Unfortunately... You get military history um, passages thrown at you here that have nothing to do with horse racing. They're very clunky and clumsy, and they're not seamless at all. And you feel like they get in the way of the plot, unlike the times when Dick Francis wrote, with the son involved, they're, they're just a lot less educational and a lot more grind-worthy. You, you wind up grinding your way through them so you can get back to the plot. It's like dealing with a commercial, right? Still, it's worth it. They're not, that's not a deal-breaker. Very much worth your time. Again, the book is called Crossfire. Dick and Felix Francis are the authors. The order number, should you be eligible, is DB72174. And before I forget, I need to make a correction because last week when I put up the show notes, um, I put up Fran's book that she recommended, Other People's Marriages, by Carrie Fisher. And I spelled Carrie the way most ladies spell <laughs> Carrie. And it's K-E-R-R-Y, not K-A-R-R-I-E. You can't make more than one mistake a minute here. <laughs> uh, Before you get out of here, you've got Joni okay. with a hand up. Uh-oh. All right, go ahead, Joni. We're going to have to make it quick because we're going gone. I just want to say that um, I read Lessons in Chemistry, and I I read Demon Copperhead. Now, Demon Copperhead is probably, so far, the best book that I read this year. It It is amazing. I think it's on Bard. I know it's on Bookshare. You can get it on your Braille e-reader from Bookshare. And Lessons in Chemistry was a book that I started reading. I didn't really like it. Friends told me, it's so good, it's so good. And you know what? It was fantastically good. So those are two more of my recommendations. I love to read, to read a lot. And anytime that I can hear about books and talk about them, let us know. Thank you, Joni. Thank you. Thank you, Nolan. Thank you. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you. See you next week. Check out the podcast. Bye-bye.